I'm Vanessa K. Eccles, and you're listening to Fabled. Today we have a special guest. We're joined by Jennifer Guthrie, who is a writer and lover of the Victorian era and all things spooky. Today we'll be discussing Victorian funeral and mourning practices. Thank you for joining us, Jennifer. You've been such a kind supporter of the Fable Collective Facebook group. It's been wonderful getting to know you, and it's so nice to have you on the show. Thanks so much. I'm, I am so honored uh, that you reached out to me uh, to be on the show because I am a huge fan and I've turned uh, my friends onto your show as well. And oh, they love it. Oh, that's so nice. That yeah. is so nice. Well, today we're going to be talking about the Victorian era, which is something near and dear to both of us. Uh-huh. What is it about the era that draws you? And maybe even more specifically, what is it about the funeral and mourning practices that you find so fascinating? Okay, well, um, there are so many things about the Victorian era. I, I love the the beauty, the opulence of it all. Um, there's a little bit of mystery, I feel like, that's involved. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's um, oh gosh, there's so many things that, that draw me to it. You know, uh, I can remember one of my friends, she's, she's still like, she's like a mother to me. I've known her since I was about four years old, maybe five. Mm-hmm. Um, her name is Rona and she introduced me to Gone with the Wind at about five years old. And I just remember watching this movie and I just was the, the dresses and the, um, the history and the homes, you know, just the decorations. Uh, I just became fascinated with it from an early age and then I just could not get enough of it. Um, and as far as like with the, the, the mourning and the funeral practices, um, I come from the northeastern corner of Alabama, like the foothills of the Smoky Mountains, the mm-hmm. Tennessee Valley, um, Appalachia, I guess, you yeah. know, um, and a lot of the practices, I mean, it's, it's as time goes on, all that's starting to fade a little bit more and more as we get away and, t- and time goes further away from that era. But mm-hmm. I also, um, I come from that part of the, the region and a lot of traditions are still practiced today there, if that makes sense. Or at least even when I was a child, they were practiced there. Like the, the practice of, um, and this isn't really, this is more of a superstition. It's not really a Victorian funeral, but like my grandparents had a horseshoe hanging over their, their front door, you oh, know, yeah. we, we actually do too. So they, okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just little things like that. And then I remember being a kid and cause it's out, my, my dad still lives on the land. It's, it's about 29 acres and it's about, it's within walking distance from the Tennessee River. It's just, it's, it's beautiful. It's wooded. Um, so I would spend my summers up there because my parents say divorced when I was about three. So I would spend my summers up there with my dad uh, and then in Birmingham with my mom during the school year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can remember my dad and I would just take off, you know, late at night driving the back country roads, just talking and, you know, a black cat might run across the path and, Dad's like, oh, you know, we got to put the X and whatever, yeah. you know. So he would take time to explain these things to me. Yeah. Um, and so I guess also a story that I want to talk about toward the end, if you're okay with that. Like my great grandfather was the last person in our family to be brought home for gotcha. a wake. Oh, yeah. So, so I started thinking as I got older, I started thinking about, well, where did this really originate? Why do we do these things? Why do we do cross the black cat why do we have the horseshoe why 
did my great grandfather, why did they bring him home and put him next to a window? Like, what are the reasons for these things? So I started tracing, you know, doing research and figuring this out and listening to podcasts. And I'm an avid reader, so I pick up whatever I can to read. Um, and a lot of it had ties to the Victorian period, mm-hmm. you know, and so I just kind of went off on, on in that um, vein of the morning practices. And the more I read about it, the more fascinating it became to me, um, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense to me. You know, growing up, we, my grandmother used to say, I'm not superstitious, but it can't hurt, you know? Right. (laughs) So we did a lot of things that to me now, I didn't even question as a child, but I, I realize now as an adult that these things have roots and I've really delved into the whole superstition thing, just like you did in the, in the recent past. But one of the things my dad always complained about is wreaths on the door. He would he would always complain, don't put a wreath on the door. You know, just that's no, just don't do it. That means like somebody died. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. Where do you get that from? You know, <laughs> and um, and it actually wasn't until delving deep into like Victorian practices, funeral practices that I realized, oh, he's right. And I don't really want to put a wreath on the door anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, now it's like I get what he's saying. And he grew up with his mom doing that, like not putting a wreath on the door um, unless there was somebody who passed away. And so it just makes sense. You know, there's these weird things that somehow survive the test of time and superstitions seem to be part of that. Mm-hmm. And it's so fascinating. Like Talking about the wreaths on the door, I didn't realize that either until I was digging more into my research and reading and And so um, I read that something very interesting I recently read was that when they, because the wreaths were a funeral practice, um, when they, I guess when they started really acknowledging and celebrating Christmas, which is another reason why I love the Victorians, because a lot of traditions we have today surrounding the holidays is because of the Victorians. Right. Um, They would put the wreaths on the windows Uh instead. And I was like, oh, that is because I've always wondered why, like, you know, you look back and you see Victorian homes and. They may not necessarily have a wreath on the door, but right. uh, they're on the windows. Yes. And, and I, I love can't get that. it to stick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, command strips sometimes work, but not always. Yeah. <laughs> I used to do that on our old house. I would put the wreaths on the windows. And I just think it's such a beautiful, traditional um, Christmas decoration. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm with you. And that, that's that's a beautiful um, thing that we get from the Victorians. A lot of things, you know, like the Christmas tree and... You know, a lot of the way that we we celebrate, it's it can it's rooted back to the Victorian era, which is mm-hmm. just fascinating. Um, what are the typical stages or rituals involved in a Victorian funeral? Okay, well, that was something that I was looking at, and I have some things in my notes. Um, they would, um, you know, obviously funeral homes really weren't a thing until um, the Civil War. Uh, I think I read I've read in several. Um, documents that i mean it was like i forget how many thousands and thousands of seven hundred fifty thousand. i think it was i'd have to go back and look to be sure so i'm sorry but no that's okay um, but you know funeral homes were not really a thing so people would die at home which is what my great-grandfather did and this mm-hmm. was we're talking 1982 wow so um 41 years ago um and so they would bring them home uh, from what I've read, typically the women would do the cleaning and the dressing and they would place them near the windows um, 
And as far as Undertakers go, very interesting. Like, this is what I I went and did a little bit more research on the Undertakers. Because I'm like, well, you know, we obviously have to have Undertakers. We didn't really have funeral parlors. Because they had a, the parlor set up at home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as, as funeral homes became more and more prevalent after the Civil War. Or I would say toward the latter end of the Civil War, after the Civil War. Um, people started calling them living rooms instead of parlors. But I've... I've read that it's called um that's why we call them funeral parlors like you may hear like i hear a lot of my family um referring to funeral homes as funeral parlors that's what i just (laughs) grew up referring to it as right um so you know the the uh the undertaker was basically this is really fascinating to me that he was really um uh basically responsible for everything like they they were furniture makers and i didn't i didn't realize that but that you know they, they made furniture um and so being carpenters they would make the caskets um some of them would even dress the bodies um they would obviously the bodies would be home so the women would would dress the bodies typically uh, or bathe the bodies um and then the the undertakers would make the coffins. They would be responsible for digging the grave. Um, they would be responsible for driving the um, the uh, body to the cemetery in the hearse. So the undertaker really had a, a huge part in this. But um, some things that that we still do, you know, obviously flowers. Um, right. I have read that flowers were sent in secret because you know Victorians didn't really outwardly express emotions like if you were to grieve you were going to grieve um or show your emotions in private mm-hmm. so from what i've read people would anonymous anonymously that's a hard word to say and it? it is a hard <laughs> word to say <laughs> uh, would send flowers to the grieving family and then the family would have to guess who sent it you know obviously now when we send flowers to a funeral home um we have a, a there's a card Right. But originally, before embalming became a thing, because really embalming became a thing um, during the Civil War, so that families could, at least the ones who could afford it, could have their family their family members shipped home for burial. Mm-hmm. Like I, I read that Abraham Lincoln was uh, the first, I guess, publicly embalmed, and he was, um, for three weeks, they, they viewed his body, shipped it all over you know for three weeks and so this embalming was a new thing so most people i don't believe at that time were embalmed they were just you know they died at home they had the wake at home in the parlor uh a lot of flowers were sent in uh as as morbid as this sounds to kind of mask the smell oh yeah yeah. um and if you remember and and some people still do this but I'm, i'm seeing people are starting to get away from this as a practice where when you have a wake um, you whether it was at the funeral home or at home, typically a wake was like anywhere from three to four days. If you remember, mm-hmm. like I remember when my grandfather passed away in 1995, I think we had a three day wake and then we buried him. And I remember thinking I was I was 13 at the time, and I remember thinking why why wait so long? But in my research, I have found that it was to allow family members who uh, were far away to travel because I mean they didn't have cars; they had a horse and a carriage or. Sometimes right. you were on feet or, you know, or, or trains. Trains were becoming a thing at that time. And yeah, it's um, a way to travel. So uh, they brought in flowers um, and candles as a way to mask the smell. As gross as that sounds, that's, I mean, you, you work with what you got, you know. That's, that's right. 
<laughs> yeah, I was I was also so I want to shift to uh, about talking about the morning attire mm-hmm. because I I was reading that women would oftentimes sew their own garments early in life and this would go with them like with their marriage gowns it would go with them and it'd be something that's stored away under the bed or in a truck somewhere um, for them to be buried in and that's such a hard concept to imagine like picking out your own burial clothes is hard enough but to actually sew them and create them that's Mm -hmm. that's amazing but so Morning attire was obviously very important, and that was a big business during the Victorian era, especially the black crepe material mm-hmm. and the jewelry that was made from hair from the deceased. Um, can you discuss maybe more significance or origins about that? Sure. Um, from what I have uh, read about, and uh, with the crepe, the crepe is like a it's a, a crinkled silk material, um, and it could be made in such a way that it would not be shiny because you know as as appropriate funeral um, or morning attire it really became popular with from what i've read with queen victoria <laughs> because when when prince albert passed away in 1861 she grieved him for the rest of her life right um, which is pretty hardcore for for someone you know for you to, to spend the rest of your life grieving that one particular person well she was so uh, your morning attire is um, a way of expressing your inner feelings outward. Right. Um, so she was so open and she was wearing the black. So it kind of took tradition, you know, in, in England and then in, in America. And with the crepe, it's um, like I said, it's it's like a silk crinkle material and it would be dull because you don't that you didn't want to have any kind of flashy no colors you're expressing your um your inner emotion outward for this for this person your deep sorrow for whoever has passed whether it be your spouse your child your parents um and and with widows um typically you would have I mean, you could mourn. There was no set. Victorians really respected mourning as opposed to today, I feel like, when someone close to you dies, you know, people want to fix it really quickly and they want you to get over it and to move on. Well, Victorians weren't like that. They understood because death was an everyday thing for them. It was it was something, um, if, you sur- if you were fortunate enough to survive your childhood, most people didn't live past their 50s. Right. at that point you know so it was like you were talking about the women making their clothes and and putting it in a trunk for you know their wedding or later on in life um that would be very hard i think now it, it would be difficult now to go to a funeral home and say well i want to wear this suit and this i can't like you said i can't imagine making my own clothes right. um and but for them, I don't think it was that thinking. I think it was just, well, this is this is going to occur at some point. It's just we see so much death because, I mean, uh, vaccinations and such were not really, you right. know, a thing at that point. And so death was just, unfortunately, it was just really common. But going back to the um, to the dressings, typically women, even though there wasn't a specific set time for grieving uh, or for mourning, typically women who were widowed it was two years two to three years and Mm -hmm. the first the first portion of it you just wore all black you you didn't you you weren't allowed to go anywhere any kind of outing uh except for to church which to me seems very 
um, hard because when I'm grieving, I really, sometimes I want to be by myself, but I also want to be out and about with people, yeah. with yeah. people. Um, and then, then you've got the, um, the second half of the grieving, which I think is called half mourning, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and that is when you could begin to wear a little more colors. Like uh, if you want to call it colors like gray or I, I've read somewhere lavender. And then there's another color I can't think of, but it's all, it's along the lines of lavender <laughs> that you could wear. So the colors were still dull. And in the, the first year you were not allowed to wear jewelry. Um, you know, you could wear the veil. I think, I think women widows were expected to wear the veil. Yeah. Um, so, and with, but with children, if children were say grieving the loss of parents, they wore white. Yes. Yeah, um, I read that. And yeah. you know, another thing I thought was interesting too, is I read that a lot of the, the, um, I read that arsenic was part of making that black crepe and even oh. the veils had arsenic in them. And so it would cause people to have headaches and acne even, and like, I, it, it seems like that would make the grieving process physically difficult because the black crepe was also a very heavy material and very uncomfortable, was very stiff. So you were physically uncomfortable, literally, um, oh, as well as actually mourning, which to me sounds like it would be even more difficult and just add to your pain. Yeah, I agree. Now, I didn't realize that about arsenic. I knew that um, I think it was arsenic was in the coloring to make green. Is yeah, that right? So wallpaper yeah they had it in wallpaper and then even early embalming you was arsenic was used for early embalming as well oh, so that's there was a lot of poison and toxic toxicity in the victorian era and so i don't know i think it's really fascinating um how much our environments play a part but also the fact that their environments were literally toxic um, it just plays, it just adds another element to a very difficult morning stage. Oh, yeah. And, and speaking of toxic, like they would put it on their face. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's it's like, um, I like to buy, as you know, I like to buy older uh, magazines from yeah. that era because yeah. I love to look, having a marketing background, I love to look at the advertisements. So I like to go back and look and I'm like, oh, yeah, this was bad. This was bad. But they right. didn't know. They didn't know. know. Yeah. I mean, they, they knew that arsenic, like in large amounts was was bad for you but they didn't know yeah. it in the small amounts that they they would put in these things and so yeah it's kind of scary when you think about it as all the things we don't know even now um that could show up and be harmful for us in the future mm -hmm. i do want to plug a book though i don't know if you've read it but it's a gothic novel by diane setterfield called bellman in black and the protagonist owns a funeral mourning business and it's very interesting if you like this sort of topic so i just felt like i should uh Share it here in case anybody's interested, and I'll leave a link in the show notes for yeah. the listeners. Perfect. I, I've got. I definitely got to get that. Yeah, yeah. So. You probably really enjoy it. <laughs> it. It's got a whole supernatural element to it as well, but it shows how profitable the business is, the funeral business, the morning mm -hmm. business is. Um, and so, yeah, it's pretty interesting. But oh, yeah. So moving on, what do you think about the practice of photographing the deceased? Um, well, I can say that my family, they've kind of shied away from it, but my family personally, um, has done this in the past. I, I have pictures. I don't personally, but, uh, my, someone in my family, I don't know who does, they have pictures of my grandfather. Um, I can remember when my great grandmother, um, passed away and she passed away in 1995 in August. And then 
my grandfather, her son, passed away that same year in October. Um, so I can remember people taking pictures. And I remember as a kid, because again, I was 12 when she passed and 13 when he passed. And mm -hmm. um, I remember thinking, oh, that's so weird. Why would you do that? You know, yeah. but I go back and I look at family pictures and we have those. And um, I, I personally don't have a problem with it if that's what you need to to move it, on it makes you know? sense to me to be honest yeah. because back then the photography was so expensive many people didn't have photographs of their loved ones or family photos like we do today and yeah. i think it's a it, it is kind of a bizarre practice when you look at it from from a modern perspective but i feel like i would totally do that if i were in that situation and that was the last photo the last chance i had for a photo with someone I think yeah. it's really, I think it's really special when you think of it in those terms. Ah, uh, yeah, I completely agree. And I think, um, again, like you said, photography was new. Um, I think they said the first, from what I've read, the first photography was um, the first photo was taken like eighteen twenty seven, if I'm not mistaken. So it was new and it was expensive. And a lot of times they took pictures of children who had passed, and you kind of think, oh, that's really morbid. But really, that's the only pictures they had of their child, and they wanted to remember their child. Yeah. Um, you know? Yeah, of course. It makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. So you and I both really enjoy superstitions. What are, the, what are some particular superstitions and beliefs associated with death and funerals in the Victorian society? Okay, one of my favorites um, is that if you look at a lot of Victorian homes, like, you know, they have the double doors. Um, and those are called funeral doors, which I've always called them French doors. Um, <laughs> but the funeral doors, I was watching some kind of ghost hunting show or something. And I was like, oh, that's what that is. That's what that means. Uh, anyway, like when they would carry the the deceased out of the home, um, they would carry them feet first. Yeah. So that they could not look back and call to their loved one, you know, come join me. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so or they can get stuck back in the house too. I've heard that that was another another thought behind that too is that they may want to stay back in the house and haunt the house. So. Exactly, you know, because uh, you know at the time, um, the the natural world was still a mystery. A lot of things were still a mystery. People were um, focusing more on the supernatural, especially with the Civil War. There was so much death and people wanting to connect with i mean because you know their their husbands their sons their fathers would go off to war and they would never see them again and they're wanting to connect so a lot of like supernatural uh, the victorian era is known for a lot of supernatural feel you know if that <laughs> makes sense um another one i like is um that i find interesting i should say is that when they would cover the mirrors yeah. um so uh, like I remember seeing that Fried Green Tomatoes is one of my favorite movies. And one of my favorite it's a books. Good one. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. It's, it's so good. And I remember watching Sipsy um, cover the mirrors when Ruth died. Yeah. And I asked my dad about this because, you know, my family practiced so much of the superstition. He's like, no, no, I don't I don't remember anything about that. But but, you know, I find that one interesting. And then when they stop the time. When when um when a loved one dies, they stop the clocks in the room, and I didn't realize that they stop it for. It might be a year. I might I be wrong. I on can't that. remember I can't that remember. one. Yeah, 
there's a certain time period. Uh, but the, I also read that it had a, a logical explanation um, as to for the time of death, because, you know, the doctors weren't always there. Everything was pretty much done at home. You know, you were born at home. You lived at home. You died at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and the doctors would make house calls. I mean, obviously they had hospitals, but still, you know. Yeah. And another one I thought was really interesting is like, not only did they cover mirrors, but they covered anything that was reflective, thinking that it could uh, take the soul of the person and keep them trapped there. So even like vases and picture frames with glass in them or anything like that. And they would cover their family photos or turn them face down so that the spirit couldn't possess any other family members, which was just a fascinating thought. It's very fascinating. Uh, That's another reason why I love this time period, because I love, um, I guess, the the thinking behind it, you know, if that makes sense. There is a lot of thought behind it. And even if we go into talking about Victorian cemeteries, that's a huge part, too. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so much thought and planning that goes into those, and there turn out to be entire gardens. I mean, beautiful places that you would want to visit even today. Oh, absolutely. The one over here by my office, Oak Hill Cemetery, uh, was was founded in 1871, and it's a perfect example of a Victorian uh, garden cemetery. I bet it's beautiful. Bonaventure Cemetery here in Savannah is like that. And right over the graves, there'll be this place where people would have planted flowers. And to me, that's taking something very difficult and creating something very beautiful out of it, which is another reason why I really appreciate the Victorian cemeteries. Mm-hmm. And I've read that um, national parks were not a thing. I don't really think those were a thing until, I mean, there there was, I think, um, you know, I don't remember. Uh, I want to say that it was 1857 before we had um, Central Park. I want to say. Yeah, I'm I think not that's sure. right. And, you know, I know Teddy Roosevelt um, was responsible for um, our national parks, or at least a lot of them, from what I with what I can gather. But we didn't, they didn't, Victorians really didn't have a place to gather. Um, and so these, these gardens, cemetery gardens, or garden cemeteries, rather, were places where they could gather, they could be with their loved one, they could picnic, they could walk. Um, they were just created as a place of beauty. Yeah, yeah. And and they really are. It's it's amazing that even today you can see the thought and care that that took that they took all those years ago and we're still enjoying still today. Oh, I love the one over here by my office. It's 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 the perfect place to walk on a nice day. It's kind of gloomy out today, uh, but it would still be the perfect place to walk. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bonaventure's like that, too. I'm, I'm excited that you were going to share a video at some point with us about... Yes. Uh, yeah, of, of your the cemetery there, and I'm very excited to see it. Yes, it's it's, it's very, very lovely. Um, so, but yeah, those were some of the, the traditions that, that, you know, uh, that I do enjoy reading about with Victorians. I think they were very, you know, they were very superstitious. They were very... Um, cognizant i guess like you were talking about though with the funeral business the funeral business was very profitable i had read that um you you had to wear new clothes to the funerals you had to buy new clothes you couldn't wear the same clothes over and over again to funerals yeah and then it was bad luck to keep those clothes in your home after like if you had morning clothes made it was bad luck to keep them in the home after the morning period which 
that would be such an expensive thing to have to buy new clothes. And because they were, you know, clothing was not cheap. Um, they used really quality materials back then. Right. And so, yeah, it was not cheap. And to have to purchase that over and over and over again, it'd be difficult. And a lot of it at that, you know. Yeah. Because yeah. you have to do the whole family. Yeah. Um, it's wild. So, it is crazy to think about, you know, and then also the patents for um, the funeral for that, not the funeral, excuse me, for the coffins where, cause being buried alive was very much a big fear, you right, know? Right. And, um, uh, cause they could just be in a coma and they have the bells, you know, the bells, um, tied to, you know, that's where the term saved by the bell came from. Yes. I love that. There, there's <laughs> one, there's one grave. I believe there's just one in Bonaventure that still has the bell intact. Cool. Which is really neat. Um, and then the other thing I read, too, is that that was part of the, the thought process behind having a wake. Not only would it give time for family from other cities to visit, but it would also give a time for if the person really isn't passed away to hopefully wake up, which makes yes. perfect sense when you think about it. That's like, I guess maybe that's why they call it a wake. Yeah, yeah, and somebody was supposed to guard the body the whole time, you know, mm-hmm. stay there with the body the entire time it was there, so... That's and, what my dad said. Yeah. 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 And a lot of times you'll see that older homes have like a bay window um, and they would that's where the body would be placed and they would open it up. So people even from the street could see and pay their respects passing without even like if they're not like somebody who really knows the family very well, they could still pay their respects and passing, which is really amazing and very thoughtful. Again, I go yeah. back to how thoughtful the process was. I think for for us now, especially Americans, we want that sort of process to be really quick and over with you know we mm-hmm. don't want to think about death we don't want to dwell on it very much and that's all understandable but I love the idea that the Victorians really not only thought about it but thought it through and it meant so much to them to celebrate their loved ones mm-hmm. I think sometimes some of this modern practice that we have sometimes we lose that a little bit and that's what really draws me to the whole idea of, of Victorian mourning mm-hmm. and funeral practices Yes, I can say the past, um, I want to say the past three or four funerals that I have been to, um, it's all done in one day, you know. Right, right, yeah, it's very quick and over with, and then you're expected to move on pretty quick, even though anybody who's lost someone knows that grieving is, it's a, it's a cycle, and it's a, Uh it's almost like a layer of onions, you know, it's constantly getting wrapped and unwrapped, and what Victorian, the Victorian era did was give people the time allotted even through like public events for grieving. Whereas uh-huh. now it's like, okay, well, they're gone. It's time for you to move on. It's kind of a uh-huh. quick process. I say, I think sometimes we miss that. I agree. I agree 100% because I remember the first one I attended like that because all my life I've grown up attending, you know, where it was, okay, you have two or three days for the wake and then you have the funeral and then you, you know, then you go to the person's house for, uh, for dinner, which is, what victorians did like after the funeral was over they would go to the at least the close family members would go back to the deceased ha- home and have a dinner of some sort i know that they made like these um they called them funeral cakes yeah you know what i'm talking yeah. about yeah, and yeah they would even give those out as i don't want to say party favors but you know what i mean like they would wrap right. them up with the black wax which was crazy yeah. to me sometimes they would include like little poems or little um little bit about the person who passed away so okay. yeah they were almost like a keepsake and you know the the paper that they were on almost like a keepsake 
Right, right. And and they uh another thing that I found interesting is the the funeral announcements. Like they would have someone go and go to the houses almost like wedding invitation, almost like you're you know, you're requested for this funeral. Here's right. the, the like you were talking about the little piece of paper and it had information right. on it. And we have those today. You know, we when do, you walk yeah. into a funeral home, you know, and people yeah. keep those. Like, I was taught to keep those as a keepsake. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? And then you stuff them in the Bible, the family Bible. And yeah, so you, it's it's amazing the things that have stuck with us uh-huh. all, all these years. But before we wrap up, you mentioned that you had a story about your great grandfather. Do you have any more you want to share on that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so I was talking to my dad. Uh, again, my grandparents, my great-grandparents bought this home along with my grandfather. Like My grandfather was in World War II. When he came back, they purchased this old Victorian farmhouse. It's no longer there, sadly, but um, it was like 116 acres, I think, a farmhouse, a barn, and a general store that my great-grandmother actually ran. It was a general store wow. and a post office. Yeah, wow. so it was, it was very interesting. Like, they were farmers, Um and so this house was just, I remember seeing it as a child and it was just, oh, it was beautiful. It, it eventually fell in and, you know, nobody there to take care of it, which just yeah. broke my heart. But anyway, so my great grandfather, he was, he was born in 1899, 1898. So during the Victorian period, he was born. Um, and um, when he passed away in January of 1982, um, he was the last of our family to be brought home. So they brought him home to this farmhouse. My dad, so I was born in October of 82. So my dad and my mom were married. I think they'd been married about three years at this point. And anyway, so they were there for the funeral. They they brought my grandfather in and they placed him up against the window. I guess from what I've read, that's for the soul no, no, no. To, to leave with the that soul leaves sense. the body. But I have an interesting twist on that for you, at least from what my dad told me. My great-grandmother, his uh, his wife, sweetest, sweetest, kindest lady you would ever meet. She fed all the neighborhood cats and dogs. <laughs> anyway, um, he died at home, um, and she was the only one with him when he passed. And I remember my, my dad told me, he said, you know, he said, I remember we called her Mama Gown because my maiden name is McGowan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were Mama Gown and Dad Gown. Uh, and he said, you know, he said, Mom Gown sat down next to me and he said, you know, she told me that when he passed this, she said she saw his spirit leave his body. Wow. She said it was like a smoke mist. Oh, wow. And I said, really? See, he just told me this yesterday. And I'm like, you've been keeping this from me my whole life. Wow. You know? But she was the only one in the room. And dad said that's all she said about it. She never said anything else about it. Never. I don't know if she even told anybody else about it. But dad said he's just like, yeah. He said, he said, yes. She said, I was sitting there with him when he took his last breath. And she said, I saw his soul exit his body. And she said, it was just this smoky mist that rose up and then it disappeared. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? It and is. It's a connection. It really speaks to the connection they had with one another, too, I think. Mm hmm. Yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. I mean, they were together for, I don't know how many years, you know, um, probably 70, 70 years or more. That's incredible. So amazing. And so they brought him home. My dad said that he remembers, because they had, I mean, it was your typical Victorian house. It had the parlor. It was a farmhouse, but it had the parlor. It had the fireplace. And um, there were cracks in the walls where you could actually see outside. 
Oh, wow. Um, and so they they brought their bed. My great-grandparents brought their bed into the parlor by the fireplace so they could keep warm. Um, so everything was right there. Like, he died there in that bed. They brought him there for the, for the wake. And my dad said, he says, I remember everybody sitting up with the body. They sat up with him. They put him up against the window. They sat up with him. It was... Almost, it was your typical Victorian funeral in 1982. Wow! Um, and we have a little, uh, a little one-room church um, near my dad's house because my dad still lives on that land. He just lives down the hill from it, um, and that's where they took him to. The, I mean, this church has two doors. You know, like typically for one for men and one for women. You would enter the church. That church has those. Um, and that's I neat. Remember, that's really it, neat. It's so cool. I'll when I go up there, I'll snap some pictures of that. Yeah, um, and I'll send you pictures of my family where my family's buried. Most of them are buried in Lakeview Cemetery, like for the past one hundred and fifty years. Um, and I think that's another reason why I feel so close to the Victorian era. Uh, why it fascinates me, besides you know the influence I had growing up as a child. But it's it, I think it's just my my um, the southern roots country roots yeah appalachia yeah um, you know uh there's still a lot of victorian ties to appalachia yeah and it um, seems like tradition dies a lot slower here in the south so we still have remnants yeah. of it we still see it it does it really does there i mean i could go on for hours about um the victorian period especially the morning the morning period the funeral practices um because my, when my dad told me, I knew that my great-grandfather had been brought home. And then when the funeral, when it came time for the funeral, they loaded him up and they carried him down the street to the little one-room church. And that's where they had the funeral. And then they drove him to the cemetery, which the cemetery where he and a lot of my family are buried. It's, most, it's more modern, like with the flat stones or mm-hmm. the flat markers. Now, where like my um, great-great-grandmother is buried, where my great-grandfather's mother is buried, that's older cemetery that's um a lot of my family's buried there the vast majority of my family's buried there great great grandparents um so it i guess i just feel a connection like when i study this when i read this i feel a connection to my ancestors even if it's people i've never met because i did meet my great grandmother the one who said that she saw his soul leave his body so i just find that fascinating because she she was never the type to embellish anything. She was never a liar. Uh, you know, she never... She's pretty serious from what I understand. So... Yeah. And my dad told me... He just told me all of this yesterday. And I said, I, I'm like, I don't know why you... He's like, I just never thought about it. You know, he said, but she never told anybody else anything about that. Or at least she never mentioned it again. Wow. Yeah. My my grandmother was um, like that too. And that if she told you, you could you could take that as gold. Um, yeah, she would never like make up anything. She was a very straight shooter, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, she said they sound pretty similar. It might be yeah. maybe part of that generation, you know. I think um, so. I w- before we go too, I wanted to talk about your book. Um, would you like to tell us a little bit about it? I know you're writing one right now. Yes, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm only just a few pages into it. You know, like I said, about 20 pages. Um, so I've still got a lot of research to do, but and I'm going. I'm toying with the name um, of what I want to call the book. Um, but basically, my book is about Victorian England um, body snatchers, or as they call resurrection men. And I've got I've got the setting is um, two men, Henry and Ian. They're they're best friends. Ian is um, 
very wealthy, comes from a line of um, lawyers, and um, Henry is um, comes from a, a line of farmers, so he's not as wealthy, and he's fallen on hard times, so he's trying to figure out how he's going to support his wife and support himself. And also, he harbors a bit of jealousy because he feels like he's more, because he works so hard, he feels like he's more entitled uh, to live where Ian does because Ian's more of a playboy and he's living off his parents. Um, so he, he just, he, um, Henry decides that he's going to start body snatching as a way to, to, um, to earn the money to take him, his, you know, himself and his wife Pandora and live in, the really nice, uh, wealthy, affluent section of town. So he drags Ian into this um, plot with him because Ian's so loyal. He loves him. Uh, but what really got me into this was, have you ever heard of Burke and Hare? Uh, William Burke and William Hare. The... I have. Uh, I think only, though, because of you. It was something you shared. Because <laughs> um, I was like, wait a minute. I should know these names. Let me look it up. <laughs> So, yeah, so William Burke and William Hare, I actually found out about them through a podcast. Um, I can't think of the name of it right now, but I found out about them. So I started doing more research. I listened to like this mini series about it, you know, uh, about Burke and Hare. And they were body snatchers or resurrection men turned serial killers because they couldn't, the greed got them so much. To get more bodies, To get more bodies. And so the term, have you ever heard of the term burking? before no okay so this actually comes from uh william burke it's the it's 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 a a term of how they murdered people it it became known as burking because what they would do is they would find a victim usually it was someone who um was like traveling through town maybe it was someone who was poor maybe it was a a sex worker you know someone who they deemed as would not be missed you know, mm. that was that was their thinking behind it. Like, wow. if we can get this person, we're good as gold because they're not, no one's going to miss this person, even though someone will miss that person because that is their family. You right, know? right. Um, so what they would do is they would get this person drunk, um, like falling down drunk and put them in bed. And whenever you would, uh, whenever they would want to sell the body to the medical schools, because obviously medical schools, um, bodies were hard to come by because the victorians you know were not going to just readily give up their body for science uh yeah uh, criminals uh were more it was more acceptable for executed criminals to be used as cadavers for these right. schools. so these schools were really hurting for bodies to do these to do the research um so anyway so they wouldn't want any damage on the body you know you, you wouldn't want any bruising you would just want um for the body to be as pristine as possible. So what they would do is one would lay down on the person. And when the person was like, would wake up and start thrashing and want to know what's going on. or uh, The other one would put his hand over that person's nose and mouth. And it would slowly suffocate that person. So that that's the term called burking. Wow. That's, oh, that's awful. It sounds it, so awful. It is awful. Eventually they did get uh, caught, you know, and one was hanged. But the other one got away. Oh no! Uh, and I know what say, happened to him. I want to say, I don't. I think it was William Hare that got away. I think this he was the brainchild of this, and I think Burke went along with it. But don't quote me, you guys. Like if you, you know, <laughs> like you, you're welcome to like hit me up and let me know if I got that wrong. But um, but uh, yeah, he no, no one knows what happened to him. He got away. Wow, that's a story right there. 
Yeah, yeah. So I'm sorry. I'm heavily influenced by that in my book. Um, that makes sense. I mean, that's fascinating. I mean, awful, but fascinating at the same time. Um, and to what lengths people were willing to go to to make money and to steal these bodies, or like in their case, to murder. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's so sad to think about. Yeah, that's whew, that's a lot. It's he- well, and I will say that the uh, the professor who was buying the bodies because um, this was in Edinburgh. In Scotland, um, and so the he his career was ruined after this. Um, Imagine, yeah, you know. So, but I mean, he would just take body after body, and then finally they started getting sloppy, and they were just starting to pull people that people would recognize right off the street. Oh wow! You know, they they murdered uh, a child, they murdered his grandmother. So these were not good people. No, no. Um, but the That's story, awful. I find the story very fascinating. Um, and and that coupled with um, my love for true crime and my love for the Victorian era, I was just like, I've got to, I've I'm, got to write something. I'm very excited about your book. <laughs> and I actually have a few pages of it. I got really lucky, you guys. <laughs> and so I'll be doing that. I'll be doing that reading this weekend. I'm excited. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, to discuss one of my favorite topics and actually get to see you face to face besides just text message. Right now. (laughs) It's awesome. I really appreciate you joining us and sharing your knowledge on Victorian morning practices. It's very, it's been very nice having this conversation with you. Absolutely. Hopefully we can do this again. I would love to do this again. That would be a lot of fun. Okay guys, until next time, thank you for listening.